Hi, I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. Today's episode is entitled A Moment to Savor, and that moment is the arrival of progressivism in the Democratic Party in a big way. And I made the case that Biden is the first progressive president in U.S. history a couple weeks back. And now I want to take that a little further and say that progressivism has really not only taken over the administration, but really the Democratic Party. And it's a real beautiful thing to behold. And I want to kind of get into the details of this and how it happened and where we go from here. You know, for those of us who have been frustrated these past few decades because we have never experienced a muscular and confident progressive party, you know, can now take heart that our moment has finally arrived. And again, it is a thing of beauty. But before I continue, let me be clear here that we are in the very early days of this new reality, and there are likely to be many setbacks and frustrations, and of course, nothing is set in stone, especially in American politics. Also, the progressivism that I'm talking about that has finally arrived is not strong leftist policy, but it's strong center-left, which has only really existed in America during very short periods of time, the most recently under um, LBJ in the 1960s. So the progressivism that I'm going to talk about today is not full-on Bernie Sanders, Democratic Socialism, Medicare for All, at least yet, but it's nonetheless a very strong progressivism that we haven't seen in America for at least 50 years. And so, you know, I'm 52, and this is the first time in my life that there is a strong progressive party that has power in the United States at the federal level. And that this is not just in the terms of the type of policies that are being proposed, although I'm going to get to that, but the entire positioning, the rhetoric, and the going on offense, the refusal by the Democrats and the Biden administration to continue peddling these tired old tropes that come from this bullshit conventional wisdom that is stifled decades of progress. It is this new tone, this new confidence that in some ways makes me the happiest. It has really been incredibly frustrating to watch Democrats negotiate with themselves, water down good policy for no apparent gain for decades, literally decades, and to maddeningly use right-wing framing to discuss issues that weaken the cause and automatically put progressives at a disadvantage. We've seen that about how Democrats used to talk about deficits, giving in to this thing that, you know, America's like a household and it should balance its budget and pay as you go. Well, Republicans just spent trillions with abandon, never for a moment caring about, you know, deficits on wars, on tax cuts. And yet the, the Democrats, you know, played along with this conventional wisdom game while the other party threw it out the window. We saw this in environmental policy with the Democrats for decades, you know, being very careful to say we don't want to hurt jobs and economic growth and buying into the false dichotomy 
that there's somehow a tension between environmental policy and a strong economy, which is the opposite of the truth. We've seen this on gun safety, where you know Democrats have to come out and say we, you know, we respect the Second Amendment. We, you know, we're not trying to take away people's guns. We just want a little, you know, a little reform around the edges. You know, then they're now they're just saying, hey, we want gun safety. We want basic stuff. And they're not trying to, you know, make, you know, um, you know, statements that it kind of water that down. You know, the, the case in point of this kind of the watered down liberalism, progressivism was really the Obama administration. And let me first state that I love Obama and I worked hard for him to get him elected I really love him as a human being. He's a great man. And he did a lot of good for this country that can never, you know, be erased. But he never vigorously defended progressivism. And to be honest, it not only hurt his presidency, but it hurt the Democratic Party and in some ways paved the way for Trump. How did he do this? You know, they watered down the stimulus bill, right, in 2009 with useless tax cuts to try to attract Republican support that never came. So they made a bill that turned out to be their one shot at fiscal stimulus, a worse bill that then hurt them in the subsequent elections because, again, they were negotiating with a a mirage of a reasonable Republican Party that didn't exist. They also watered down Obamacare and crafted it after, you know, the Heritage Foundation, the right-wing think tank, and Mitt Romney's Massachusetts plan. So they used conservative templates to make a democratic healthcare plan. Not because they thought it was the best plan, but again, to try to be centrist and be bipartisan. What did it get them? It got them vitriolic attacks, not a single right-wing vote, and attacks at the Supreme Court, which weakened it. And you know they, they never got almost any credit for it, and it was vastly unpopular um, throughout Obama's terms. Uh, now it's a little bit more popular after the Republicans have died to destroy it, but again, there was no reason to, to put forth a bill that, that wasn't much more stronger on the progressive side. Perhaps the most egregious thing that Obama did was negotiating with John Boehner, the, the former Speaker of the House, on what was called a grand bargain, where in, a, in, a, you know, in exchange for some modest tax increases on the rich, uh, Obama was willing to weaken Social Security and other social safety nets. I mean, this was just horrible, horrible decision-making on his point, right? It was just lose, lose, lose. First of all, a Democrat coming out to weaken Social Security when Social Security should be strengthened was just horrible. So it made us look like we were going back on key promises. Then again, it was buying into this deficit nonsense because it was the whole point was to try to save money to balance the budget, which was just nonsense. And then it got us nothing because Boehner was never going to do that. Um, he was not negotiating in good faith. So it was just horrible politics. And this was, you know, years into Obama's presidency when he should have known better. And just as a note, you know, John Boehner is out with this new book, you know, being the, the huckster, you know, snake oil salesman that he is trying to make a buck. He was never a good faith act, actor, right? He never even brought the immigration bill that passed in the Senate on a bipartisan fashion. He never even brought it up for a vote in the House didn't even bring it to the floor. And also, despite his, you know, pathetic attacks on Trump in his book and trying to distance himself from the Republican Party, these monsters that he helped create, he actually admitted to voting for Trump in 2020. And he said the reason he didn't push back against the election fraud lies was because he's retired. 
I mean, just think of what cowardice that is. This guy's about to publish a book to try to ca cash in on critiques of the Republican Party. And then he's saying, I was retired, so I didn't push back on the lies that led to the insurrection. I mean, fuck him. I mean, what a fucking scandalous little weasel he is. And again, this is the guy that Obama was trying to negotiate. So with that context, that backstory, let me just say that boy, oh boy, are those days long gone when we had to worry about Democrats undermining progressive values. To give you a couple of examples of what's going on with Democrats in the Biden administration now, let's talk about this, the, the fetish for bipartisanship. Right? This is always, of course, a second a Republican gets in office at the presidential level, no one talks about bipartisanship. They're just expected to go scorched earth, do whatever they want, never even in good faith negotiate with Democrats. But as soon as the Democrats in the White House, what are you going to do for bipartisanship? How are you going to try to get Republicans, right? And of course, then the Republicans use this to their advantage because they know that they have the media on their side. And so what did Biden do? He said, I definitely want bipartisanship. But to me, bipartisanship is if Republicans like the things I'm doing in society, Republican citizens. So when people say, what's up with the bipartisanship? The Republicans didn't vote for the American Rescue Plan. You promised bipartisanship. He said, well, go out there. And Republicans like the bill. They like the things in the bill. So it's bipartisan in that both Democrats, Republicans, and independents in American society like what I'm doing. Why don't you go ask the Republican elected officials while they're not doing the things their constituents like? And that little change in framing to say bipartisan is not getting elected officials from the other party, but getting their actual constituents, right? That's just brilliant. And I mean, really great, puts you know, Republicans on the defense and then, you know, and just changes the whole framing, right? Of what else is Biden doing? He's also pushing for massive social spending on a variety of programs. In a lot of ways, he's overwhelming the Republicans. I want more money for elder care. I want money more for infrastructure. I want more money for broadband. I want to get take the lead out of pipes. I want universal pre-K. I want universal community college. He's just throwing all this stuff out there, right, unapologetically. And then he's saying, okay, GOP, you're calling me a big spend liberal. Well, here's two things. Tell me which of these things you don't think is worth it. You want to not give people community college? You want to keep lead in the pipes? You don't want your rural constituents to have internet in the 21st century? You tell me which ones aren't necessary in 2021. Or tell me how you're going to pay for it, right? You don't like my increase in the corporate tax rate? You want to be fiscally responsible? Tell me how you're going to get the money. And he's giving them tight timelines. It's not this kind of like, on and on and on, month after month, just kind of letting the Republicans kind of feign and, and, you know, fake it. He's saying with this new American jobs plan, he's saying, I want your ideas by mid-May. Step up to the plate. Show me what you got. But give me something by mid-May. This isn't going to be something we're talking about six months from now. So again, brilliant, right? Democrats on offense, putting stuff out there, putting the Republicans in, in a weak position, putting them on defense, and just look at how they're responding, right? All they're talking about is Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head, you know, because they have nothing on Joe Biden. So again, very, very brilliant stuff, very happy. So after the break, I'm going to talk about how we got to this moment 
and likely what to expect in the coming months and years if this progressive energy and momentum holds. Okay, so how did we get to this moment to savor? And what's coming up next? Well, I think the main reason we are here is because Biden is experienced and he has learned. He saw what happened to Obama. He saw what the GOP did to Obama. He saw what they did to enable Trump. And he is not having any more of that. And he knows that he doesn't have a good faith actor on the right to deal with. So he says, let me do what my constituency wants, what the country wants, what's good for the nation, and then let's just try to move everyone in this direction. He's seen the country move leftward, right? He sees it. He sees it culturally. He sees it in the youth. He sees it in the changing demographics. And you know what? It turns out that not having a strong ideology, no one would accuse Joe Biden of being an ideologue. And in fact, that's kind of been his weakness in many ways, right? He doesn't have strong, you know, a value system. But you know what? It turns out that can be good when your party and the country moves and you can then move along with it. So, you know, his core values of human decency and reason and wanting to help people, you know, add that to the fact that the country's moved leftward and he wants to move with it. And that's a pretty nice recipe for a new progressive era. Now, obviously, though, I don't want to oversell Biden's, you know, kind of individual contribution to this moment. I think it's, it's serious and substantive, but it's not just, you know, one man here. Obviously, a lot also had to do with the COVID pandemic. Let's be honest here, right? The COVID pandemic exposed the inequalities in America like almost nothing else has, right? I mean, think about it. The rich got richer while the economy collapsed and people died by the hundreds of thousands. So we saw just communities being decimated, small business, people making minimum wage, you know, people being decimated, the school systems, and yet the rich just piling on billion after billion after billion. Literally, I think the top 1% increased their net wealth by $4 trillion during the pandemic. So it just ripped the Band-Aid off, ripped the veil off, and showed everybody in really stark terms the gross inequality in the system. It also made the, the thought of spending trillions of dollars not that big of a deal. I mean, we've been throwing trillions of dollars around like it's thing going out of style. And so a lot of the progressive issues that are, have high price tags now don't seem like such a big you know, a big ticket item, right? Now, again, remember, Republicans have been throwing around trillions of dollars for decades on wars and tax cuts. I mean, I think the Afghanistan war is almost two trillion. The Iraq war is in the three to five trillion. It's a couple trillion on Bush tax cuts because soon, you know, it's getting close to $10 trillion thrown down a rat hole of endless war and tax cuts for the rich. 
But the thing is, is you know, though that money isn't in a one single bill. It doesn't have a price tag. When we went into Iraq, we didn't know it was going to cost that much. In fact, they said it was going to pay for itself. Dick Cheney said it would pay for itself. And here we are five trillion dollars later. Right. So the fact is, these new covid bills that under Trump, that Trump signed that were trillions of dollars, provides an opening for Democrats like they haven't, uh, you know, haven't had in a long, long time. I think it's also fair to say that there's no doubt that the Black Lives Matter protests played a huge role in kind of the, this more progressive shift, right? Because, you know, this was the first time that a large numbers of white people showed up at a lot of these anti-racist protests. So white people have always been part of progressive change along with, you know, the, our black brothers and sisters. But it was really large numbers of white people. And these and these protests weren't just in big cities. They were in rural areas and even in red states, right? So, of course, then we also have the growing ex- acceptance of gay marriage, the growing popularity of, of cannabis to really show that the culture has already been won for progressivism. And now what we need to do is the harder stuff. We need to do the, the progressive economics and progressive regulation. So that's how I think we got here. And the question now is, what can we expect moving forward? So first off, I think on economics and the environment, gone are the days of incrementalism in the Democratic Party. I think there's going to be no no more working on the margins, no more trying to appease the right wing. Democrats want a strong social safety net and decarbonization by 2050, and that requires a whole new energy system. Right. We see the same to some extent on immigration reform and voting rights. The big voting rights bill, H.R. 1, is a huge deal that takes on gerrymandering, nationalizes elections, takes on money in politics. So, you know, Democrats are swinging for the fences here. Now, let me just be clear here that just because the Democrats are, you know, thinking big doesn't mean they're going to get everything they want. Right. In fact, you know, they might not get much of what they want. Right. In the policy process, there's going to be a lot of compromises. They, they won't achieve many of their most aspirational objectives. We have to see what happens with the filibuster, You know how much they can really push the envelope. They have the barest, barest majorities in you know, the House of Representatives and the Senate. But I think that they're going to get a lot more in this next couple of years than we've come to expect for the simple reason is that if you aim for 100, maybe you get 50. But if you aim for 25, maybe you get 10, right? And so just swinging for the fences means when you come down from your aspirations, you can still achieve a lot. And so this is a a sea change, right? The the timid, cautious Democratic Party is really long gone. And that's really what I want us to savor. And I don't think there's any going back on this either. I don't think this is a one-off and, you know, you know, four years from now, either, you know, another Biden administration or the next Democratic candidate is going to try to walk this back. I think future Democratic administrations and leaders are going to continue this charge. I think the the end of small government um, is in sight and Reaganism is dead. And, and the reason I really am confident about this is because it's dead on the right wing, too. Right. So if you get past the Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head, controversies, and you look at what the right wing is trying to say, even though it's barely eking out through, you know, through their channels, they are saying that they want to help the working class and help, you know, the middle class 
They know that the you know tax cuts for the rich don't cut it anymore. They know that their 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 uh, you know appeal to kind of what called fiscal discipline and you know you know keeping the budget in balance is a joke. No one takes them seriously on that. So all they're in for really is white supremacy and lies because they have nothing. And but if you scratch their surface a little. They, tr- they want to have populist economic ideals because they're supposedly trying to be the party of the white working class. So my point here is that I really think modern conservatism is dead. You know, it is just dead. It is nothing. It's an empty vessel. Like I've been saying on this podcast a long time, the GOP is a white grievance cult in the service of the plutocracy. It's an empty moral and intellectual vessel. Now, before I get too you know, um, you know, uh, psyched on this and too, um, you know, triumphalist. Let me caveat this by saying is I don't mean it's permanently dead, right? We know that zombies have a way of coming back in new forms, right? Zombies, that's the whole thing, right? They never ever truly die for good. But at least for this next phase of American politics, I think the issues dominating our political discourse will be based around major expansions of the social welfare state, expansions of clean energy policy, expansion of rights, including voting rights, and in significant efforts to diminish income inequality. You know, again, I say that with some high degree of confidence because that's where the entire culture is moving and definitely where the Democratic Party is moving. So I think America is going to be way better off because of this. But again, you know, in another generation... You know, I'm sure conservatism and other forms of, you know, um, you know, reactionary policy will rear their head. And also, let's not forget that the Republicans still can do a lot of damage. And, you know, they're they, they can you know, we might descend back into fascism in four years. But at this moment in time, I think we can feel pretty good. And again, that's why it's a, a moment to savor, which, again, has been in short supply these last four years. So after the break, I'll come back with the antidote. I am the living Okay, so my antidote for today is to my liberal and progressive friends, take yes for an answer. I know a lot of progressives, and some of them never seem to want to say anything good about the Democratic Party. No matter what Democrats they do, it's never enough. The Dems are always corporate sellouts. But the reality is, the Bernie faction has in many ways won, and has really taken over the Democratic Party. In fact, Bernie is now the chair of the Senate Finance Committee and has tremendous power in the bills that are going to pass Congress um, this year and, and likely next. If Biden is sounding a lot more progressive, you know the Democratic Party has changed, right? He was about the most center of the road, milk a toast person there was. And if he's sounding progressive, I think it's fair to say that the Democratic Party has really moved a lot and changed. 
Many of us were wrong, including me. So now it's time to admit that the Democrats are a different party now and celebrate it. Take yes for an answer. Of course, keep pushing them. Here's a case in point. The, uh, Joe Biden said he was going to up the pitifully low uh, refugee um, target that uh, the Trump administration has set. You know, the Trump administration had a record low of allowing only 15,000 refugees in a year. Biden said he was going to up that. It was a big part of his uh, campaign promises. And then it looked like he was walking that back. He was starting to make some excuses that Trump had decimated the system and there's so many people coming over the southern border that they might have to put that off. And progressives went crazy and said, Biden, you got, can't go back on your word. Do the right thing. This was a promise. And you know what? They backtracked immediately. Later, literally later that night, Jen Psaki, the press secretary, um, put out a release saying that they're going to get updated numbers in, in, in May. So again, it doesn't mean that we sit back on our laurels and not push the Democratic Party, but to at least accept that we have a good, viable, working, progressive partner in the Democratic Party, and that we really have an ally and a voice. And so with that, everybody, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. Uh, Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And with that, stay safe, be well.